Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. And my name is Nick, and I have read all of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. Today we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 8 of the AMC series, titled Fear of the Lord. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic and by extension any future plotlines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 4, Episode 8. So pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to mpn.bz slash Patreon and pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K and Gojo who have pledged at the level of $10 plus per month. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com. We're also at g2tpodcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast, much like our buddy Mark did. Mark tweeted at us, uh, and after last week he said, just finish the episode as usual, very good. In the scene where Cassidy is giving a monologue to the men in the synagogue, my wife caught sight of, we think, a Seth Rogen cameo. You might want to give that scene another look. I did give it another look, and uh, while there is a man who looks very much like Seth Rogen, oh wow, as I have and am showing to Nick right now, uh, in an earlier part of the scene, you can kind of see that it is not Seth Rogen. It does look a lot like him, but it does look a lot like him. So I tweeted back at you, Mark, if you want to take a look at the pictures and let me know. If see I, if that's the if, guy. If that's the right guy that I picked out, or maybe I just missed him overall. He's just really obviously in the <laughs> foreground, and you just breeze past it. <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, I swear to God, he's not the rabbi. <laughs> that would have been the role, though. Yeah, you, you would think so, but uh, yeah, Mark, let us know. Maybe, um, maybe he's there somewhere else. Yeah um and then yeah you know we've had some thoughts uh from bruce come in on on this week's episode um which i think we'll pro- i'll probably try to remember to bring up a little bit throughout the uh throughout the episode as we talk about it but yeah the discord is thriving as usual uh people talking about some preacher um david Steele volunteered to take part in the preacher summit there we and, go if and when that does happen in the future I spoke to Lance today, actually, and I said, hey, do you want to join us for the big grand finale wrap-up summit, whatever? And he said he has not watched any of this season yet. Mm. He said, you guys are the only reason, or he phrased it not like that, but he's just like, you guys are my my reason for watching Preacher, basically, even though he loves the book. Yeah. I think he's liked the show, but he's also very busy right now. That's true. As as we all are. Funny how that happens. Mm -hmm. Time goes on and you get busier. But uh, I'm sure he would blast through it in a weekend or something to just to partake in the overall discussion because I think as a as, as a book reader, this season will be like the most divisive for yeah. people. People are either going to embrace it or just denounce it altogether. Well, and they, like it's basically like the shit or get off the pot of like so much of what you would want to have out of the adaptation yes right? and as so. this episode really demonstrates <laughs> sometimes it's shit and get off the pot yeah so uh yeah i don't really know exactly what we're gonna do i know we kind of talked about like should we do a season wrap-up and a series wrap-up should we combine them should we come back later after after maybe reading some of the books and and talk about everything so 
Yeah, that would be incredible actually to to have you read it all and then it's a the thing it is long. I mean, it's 60 issues, but it's a it's a page turner. Like yeah. it really I if could I, read, I could read I the whole had, thing in 2 here's days. Here's the thing. I think if I literally had the purpose of a podcast was to read a thing and I could be like, <laughs> that, all right, I'm reading nine issues of this this week. That would probably make me do it. You know? I don't know. If it was like, <laughs> we're going to read a chapter of The Dark Tower this week and talk about it, I could probably get it done. Dude, but... if it was a chapter a week, that <laughs> podcast would take... <laughs> Three years, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Forget what the beginning of the book is by the time we get to the yeah, end. Yeah, I mean that's seven novels, eight if you count the one he released after. I forget what it's called. I have it. I still haven't read it. The oh. thing is, I didn't like when I was in school and we had to read books. I didn't like do well with the hey, read read this amount of the book by this next time, and and we're gonna discuss it. Really, okay. I just never. I didn't, mo- and that's the thing. Most of it was like none of these books are about things that I really, really care about, sure. you know, or or it was like the same stuff over and over again. Like the curriculum of my school, for some reason, is very. I mean, not that these topics aren't worthwhile, but it was very much focused on like the Holocaust and uh, slavery, and those were kind of like the two things that most of the curriculum hit upon for probably a good six years of your education in, in the English department. And so it was just one of those things where I didn't feel like they were doing a good job of rounding out everybody's like experience with reading mm-hmm. and, and, and novels and things like that. And and I think I maybe would have done better had we spread it around a little bit more to different genres and stuff like that. I also have very much come around to the fact that I always used to think in school that I liked science and math more because I I liked that there was a right answer Hmm. and I hated the English teacher bullshit. Interesting. But yet then I got out of school and started watching more movies and talking about like themes and interpretations and what different things mean to different people and stuff like that. So I think I've very much come to that later in life than than if I would have in, in school, maybe I would have cared about English a little bit more. But that's anyway. really interesting. I mean, I that's a whole we could talk about that yeah, for no, quite we, a while. Yeah. I, I really like that idea though, the right answer that's interesting. There is something I think for at least for certain people, there's something very appealing about a finite answer and a finite solution and just being able to say like this this is the thing. This is the way you do it. Yeah. Here, you know, solve, I was more solve comfortable for X. with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's that's nice because it's something that you can wrap your head around and you can like You and I should end up at the right answer in the end. Yes. But when you look when when you hold up a symbol that's in a book, it might mean something different to you than it does to me, right? Sure. And which is funny cuz even in English though there can be a right answer in terms yeah. of that's true. In terms of like grammar and spelling, but you can make the argument that there is no real right answer. Yeah. It's like the uh ah man, which Marvel movie? Oh, it's uh it's Infinity War. One of my biggest takeaways from that movie that I uh, that I still love is when Thor says the name of something and one of the guardians is like, 
that sounds made up. And he says, all words are made up. (laughs) Just offhand. And I'm like, that's the best line in the movie. (laughs) Because the the way he delivers it, first of all, is just amazing. But it's so, it's true. It's incredible. I am, I am, and I hate to use the phrase so casually, but like what you might refer to as a spelling Nazi. Hmm. I cannot stand misspellings, especially of really common words. It drives me to the point where I am difficult to deal with. Like I'm sure that <laughs> it does not come across in a, across in a constructive way when I try to tell somebody that they've spelled something wrong. But you know, ultimately who's to say, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if it makes like when, and, and when people write awkward sentences and that kind of thing, I'm like, uh, I just get so frustrated, but I'm like, but if you understood what you were saying or you got your point across to the other person, mission accomplished. Yeah, right? What does it matter? Yeah. That's know? communication. And I feel funny for because I technically have a communications degree <laughs> and I took a lot of classes that involved that kind of stuff and like speech classes and that kind of thing. And it was funny how you can say like you're doing it poorly, but at the same time, if you get your message across, wasn't that the point of communication to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. Also reminds me of Arrival right at the beginning of Arrival when Jeremy Renner's argument is that. I don't remember what he's, he's physics, right? He's a physicist. I think so. It's been a while. He's since some I kind of scientist that. or a biologist, whatever. And Amy Adams is like the communication person. Mm-hmm. And he says that that's, that's bullshit basically. And he's like, science is more important. Yeah. And she's like, we couldn't have this conversation about it if there wasn't communication. And that's, like, yeah, no, like that's a hundred percent. Like, you know, high school, Alex was like, Oh, science and science and math. You know, those are the important things in life. <laughs> and you know, the universe speaks in math and blah, blah, blah. But like it, obviously there's way more value like i wouldn't be able to learn these things if i didn't know how to read and talk to people about things and yeah i think that those things become more important the more advanced you become yeah i think communication is very much like a developmental thing i mean even as like a as a species as a as a uh as a humankind earlier in the in the overall lifespan of our species you know communication and those sort of things were more fundamentally important but now like i was just watching on the news this morning they were talking about the sea levels and all that and they were talking about how in areas of new york they are actively working towards basically building seawalls and stuff Mm. because the levels of everything have been steadily rising yeah and the anchor and a some sort of expert who this is what they do for like the state of new york or whatever we're standing there talking and it just i just thought right away like man, this is so cool to me because people have been doing this for long enough that they can look back at the recordings and be like, and, you know, the way you can see in, in this month of this year, it should be here mm-hmm. over the last 50 years or whatever in New York. And that's something that people in, you know, the 1600s wouldn't worry about because they'd yeah. be like, we just got to get food and we got to, <laughs> we got to build a society, get a society going. And now that those, now that that groundwork has been laid, we can worry about the bigger problems facing us now, like global extinction because of global <laughs> warming and all that. But it, you know what, although I'm going to undo my own point because I was doing a lot of reading about like hundreds of years ago in the Netherlands, uh, how they were like so brilliant at water management mm. ahead of everyone else in the world because they had to be just yeah. because the sea, the sea was always encroaching on, on, uh, on Netherlands. And I think, and I was doing this whole, I'd gotten to this deep dive online of reading about all the advancements they made before anybody else did. And now they are like you know, the, the experts probably in the world about all that yeah. kind of stuff to the point where this is irrelevant now with just technology. But when people would try to invade, you know, back in the day when yeah. it was only via ship and by foot, they had strategically placed uh, like barricades where they could release them and flood like 
certain areas while oh. people were trying to come at them and they could attack them like strategically and they could so precisely control where they wanted to flood to try to force people into certain areas or smaller groups so they could take them apart and defend their land that's awesome that's incredible <laughs> yeah you should read about it but maybe listen to an audiobook about it <laughs> it was amazing beautiful anyway you right in yeah you are you are know. you a, are you an aqua engineer yes i'm sure there's some kind of did you did you gain your uh <coughs> your ancestors uh skills in yes and in, in water management and water management well even like the way that if you look at like uh, images of like certain villages and stuff you see that like where there would be like roads almost it's like waterways that are in, that are grid-like in their precision mm-hmm. because they've shaped the land into into the way they need it to be it's just it's amazing that's awesome I don't know how we got down that road, but yeah. anyway. Welcome, well, welcome anyway, to to I Texas. don't know how to read, and uh, we'll see if I can figure that out. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Let's get on with our recap. Sounds good, I guess. <laughs> so, I have very few notes this week again. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll 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 get through it. I'm sure we'll find a way to talk about it for 90 minutes. The teaser. Uh, we have a group of cave-dwelling Australians that have managed to install a spigot where Star's genitals once were. In a dream, Star remembers his Little Mr. Dusseldorf competition in 1979, where he won for the fourth time in a row. After the show, the rest of the contestants ganged up on him in the bathroom to beat him up and disfigure him. Star is startled awake when the Australians try to comfort him with some food. When Star looks down to see his leg is gone, and they're all eating his leg, he freaks out and tells the cave dwellers that the grail is on the way. Just as they get ready to take his thigh, Featherstone wor- bursts onto the scene to rescue him. She carries him out of the cave at sunset. Uh, before we dig into that, Malcolm Barrett, uh, Hoover One, tweeted at uh, Julianne Emery on Twitter and said, We're like six minutes in and this is the most disturbing episode of Preacher I've ever seen and I was there for a lot of disturbing shit. <laughs> Then he had a picture of Featherstone carrying Star in the sunlight, and she said, I'd have carried you across the field at sunrise, too, my Hoover. <laughs> Beautiful. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, cannibals. Yep. And and this Star disfigurement smell of something that is straight out of the comics. Yes. Um, does this feel like fan service, or does this feel like it was important? It feels like an attempt at fan service i guess so this when when star was in the desert laying there in the last episode in that shadow approached yeah. him and he looked up i knew it was them okay and i was like oh what <laughs> and i like messaged bruce in the i think in the book spoilers and i said we might actually get the wub thing Wub. and he was like no way or like he hadn't watched it yet and <laughs> yeah. then he replied eventually and was like wow and this we we kind of talked about it a little bit more after this episode. <clears throat> so I I guess it serves the plot in terms of continuing to maim Star, continue to, to get just, Star to his lowest point. Right. Yeah. Uh but as far as you know it's over a lot quicker. Mm. He spends a little bit more, he does he's not there for long in the yeah. books. It's it's a similar outcome except he gets himself out. He's not rescued. Okay. And it's funnier that way. Like the way he gets out is really funny and super gross and very preacher. And uh, he's not rescued, so it was fine, I guess. Yeah. The it just didn't. I don't know. It's kind of like why. At yeah, this point. it kind of yeah. just didn't matter. So there's. I was thinking about this today while I was driving to and from everywhere I was going today. I was pretty much whenever I was in the car, I was thinking about the show, and I was like, you know. 
there's a lot going on that I like. There's a lot of stories that I like the advancement in, but there's a lot that I just don't care about anymore. Yeah. And star is something that I'm like, I mean, uh, it's fine, I guess. I don't even, I'm not even getting as much enjoyment though out of Pip Torrin's portrayal. Was the, was the, so was the backstory, does that match no, track? That's, that's just kind that's of show all, invention. Yeah. So, and yeah. I think that's part of what bothers me is like, <clears throat> they're, they are continuing to reinforce how kind of pathetic star is. Yeah. But I don't know why. I just don't. I think I missed Pip Torrance's performance before when it was just so like this enigmatic de- like. and so like deliciously over the top mm-hmm. and he like stood out in every scene he was in as like this like just flash of lightning. Yeah. And now I'm just kind of like tired of it. He's kind of, well and, and and the thing is in this episode he's very much played for shock value. We get a lot of quote unquote naked Pip Torrance yeah. with a spigot at his genitals yeah. and wearing his sash and his nipple clamps like <laughs> which was a striking <laughs> well, scene <laughs> and, and to be honest as i was watching it i was like i'm kind of impressed that this is on basic cable yeah but yeah for like sure. at the same time i'm just kind of like it doesn't feel as though the shock is serving a purpose it's also not that be, shocking anymore. yeah that's true it must be how people who read the book who didn't really love it felt at every turn of the page because there's tons of shit like that through all throughout the book where you're like, how much more grotesque and bizarre can it get? It feel, And that's the thing. I guess I don't have a good grip of what it's like in the books, but it feels to me of like this is what someone who read Preacher and thought it was only gross and not thought provoking walked away with Uh, yeah and i agree with that and then on the same by the same token i see an episode of the show that is incredibly thought provoking and i'm like okay what's where's the what's the root of this inconsistency yeah but i I agree it definitely reads like or it comes across as almost like someone read the wikipedia summary of preacher and and just googled the images and was like oh it's like it's like there's a there's like a checklist of like gross stuff we gotta put in preacher and yeah and i i think that i kind of pity star a little bit in the show and i don't i don't like that because in the book you don't pity him at all you just feel like he's just an asshole yeah which is really the best way to put it like he is evil but you don't even evil's not even the first thing that comes to mind you're like you're just an asshole and jesse calls him an asshole a bunch of times because he is he's an asshole and in the show i mean he's getting kind of just manipulated by god and Mm -hmm. like you know if you can't relate to that i mean if you can't (laughs) if you can't feel bad for somebody for that yeah then you're just not human Mm -hmm. like i feel like you can't look at that and, and not feel a little bit bad for him to be like, you know, God is dangling a carrot in front of everybody in the show, apparently. Yeah. And Star just wants to, like, look normal again. And he, he gets the opposite of that at every turn. And you're like, I feel a little bad for the guy. Like, he just, to be, and li- to literally be face to face with God mm-hmm. and have God tell you this all the time and just treat you like Jafar, basically, and just <laughs> fuck with you all the time. And you're like, oh, you know, soon, soon, Klaus, you'll look good again. <laughs> and then meanwhile, this have X, you know, everything. Yeah. It's just, I can't help but feel a little bad. I just, like, I don't want to watch that. I feel bad watching it. I'm like, this isn't fun. It's not funny anymore. Like, in the books, it it almost comes across more as, like, misfortune. Yeah. All these crazy stuff that happens. Or you, you can kind of chalk it up to almost karma. And that's more fun. 
because it feels like it's just kind of happening to him with no rhyme or reason. But when when it's like your creator being like, no, nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw sand in this guy's eye at every opportunity. Yeah, I'm on gonna the, I'm gonna sick this dingo on him because I know yeah. he's lying to me. On the one hand, Star is a bad guy. He's a bad guy, so he does deserve it. But at the same time, you're like, oh man, like just kill him. <laughs> I wonder if it's kind of playing towards this weird change of things for Star, where Star is this person that we've always kind of seen as like we've uh, we've always had the logline of the reason Star is involved with the Grail is not because of his belief in God, but because of his thirst for power. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so I wonder if we're playing at this weird rest- restoration of Star's faith because God did delivered to him in this episode but i don't know what you're gonna do with that in two episodes that's gonna make me give a shit about it yeah exactly so yeah what did you think about pip Torrens portraying young star i liked that i thought that was funny (laughs) it was a really funny choice because i figured it was gonna go like one of three ways it was like either they do it the way they they did it here which is not what i would have expected or they like put Pip Torn's face on a child <laughs> and they make him look pretty grotesque anyways. Like he's never like as we made the joke last week of like he's never really been that beautiful. Right. Or they, they do they they get some kind of child who who looked disfigured in the first place. Like like it could have been any one of those three options. But like the fact that it was straight up just him in a wig yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, that, that the first kid was him. Yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, flashback, there he is. And so I was pleasantly surprised that they when were, they they the were pulling one over. Yeah, and it just <laughs> whip pans over to him in this terrible wig, standing, you know, four feet higher than everybody and else. all the other kids on the stage. It yeah. was hysterical. I was like, this is good. Yeah, that that was that was pretty funny. Um, I like them all bullying him too yes ganging up on him even yeah. though he's huge <laughs> <laughs> yeah bruce wrote he said having adult star getting beat up and disfigured by kids is just strange unless he's meant to be a kid himself and showing him as an adult is just a joke i i do i do think that was a joke i agree though that it, it could be confusing if it wasn't for like the year that they said like yes 79 or whatever it was but how old is star supposed to be uh, yeah i don't I don't know. I can't remember much from his like. I always got the vibe somewhat of, origin. Well, or but even when origin. he was like a young man, like auditioning for the Grail, he was still Pip Torrens, like the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. So he's kind of always looked like that. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, it's just an interesting thought of like this dude has looked <laughs> like like the fifty year old man that he is, or whatever. How old he actually? I was is. gonna say when I re- when I read it, I imagine him at like a solid fifty years old. All right, like, let's... he's like a seasoned dude. The thing about the star on his eye, though, like they never they never get into that. Like it just doesn't matter. No, like that's what he looks like. Okay, cool. Like bad guy. Pip Torrens is fifty nine years old. Sure, but uh, yeah, I would always put star at like fifty ish. I want to see if I can find a picture of Pip Torrens as child. Let's see. <laughs> I don't think there's anything, unfortunately. No, but I just tried to Google something about the show, and one of the first links was a article. Uh, the final season of Preacher has been a chore. So <laughs> these are the <laughs> these are the kind of things that are coming up if you Google it right now. Yeah, I might read that later because I'm sure that I will agree with parts of it and disagree with parts of it. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. 
No, it, it was it was a fun little joke, but it was a little bit weird. It was a little off-putting. There was part of me that as I was watching it, I was kind of like, okay. <laughs> it Like, it feels a little lazy to me. Like, it's a funny joke, but it also just feels kind of like, eh, we're not going to find somebody. We don't want to find anybody that looks like they could be a young Pip Torrens. Like, they... I, I don't know. I guess it's hard because they could have also gone the route of like, we need to find the most beautiful child in the world. And then somehow they end up looking like Pip Torrens by the time right. he gets to the grail, you know, after he gets mutilated or whatever in the in the bathroom. So, yeah, I don't know. Featherstone being the hero was fun enough. Yeah. The shot of her carrying star was like almost worth it. I was like, yeah. oh, that's kind of funny. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, yeah. All right. Act one. Jesse still refuses to take God's throne, opting to go back to watching his father die repeatedly. Fiora informs him that there's worse in store now, from a tube of ants straight up his ass to being engulfed in flames and maybe more. We cut to Tulip, Cassidy, and Humperdue driving in a storm that Cassidy remarks is Old Testament-like, making Tulip think maybe God is watching them. They get out of the car, and Tulip holds a gun to Humperdue's head, waiting for something. Cassidy tells her to do it since God is always watching, but Tulip opts not to as she wants to watch God watching them kill Humperdue. She vows not to leave until God makes his move. Three months later, they're living out of the house they pulled over by. Cassidy has really taken a liking to Humperdue while Tulip remains distant. She checks a vest of explosives on his chest and tells him it's time to go to the moon. The moon. Humperdue runs outside and gets into a refrigerator to prepare himself for blast off. Tulip reminds Cassidy of what they're there to do when the time comes. Uh, yeah, I didn't really ever believe Jesse would take the throne. Yeah. Uh, you know, given who Jesse is as a character and what he believes, yep. I, I didn't think that would happen, so I wasn't surprised there. Uh, what did you think of, like, the Tulip, Cassidy, and Humperdue? Like, I really liked it. It was great. <laughs> I really liked it the, way more than I thought I would. The Pinecone family and yes. everything as as they as they come in from gathering wood. It was it was they, there's a weird amount of chemistry between the three of them yes. that works way better than it should. Honestly, really should. I think I think Joe Gogan is the catalyst. Like yeah. he that guy could He's act the glue. He could act opposite uh, tennis balls and it would be <laughs> engaging. He is uh he's just he's a, a treasure. Yeah. No, it was it was quite good. Um, and Tyson Ritter is like really good. Yeah. The, well, the fact that he's just like down to be like, okay, I'm going to play this inbred descendant <laughs> of Christ. And Christ. he's like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm going to do this. Uh, that's my wheelhouse. I can get, I can, I can get there. <laughs> yeah. Cause he plays them both so well and they're yeah. both really endearing, even though Humperdue should be so irritating. He should not be endearing at all. Like everybody's reaction to him in the book is like, ugh. <laughs> the, oh, there he is. Although he's way, I don't want to say he's way worse looking. He's he's doesn't look great in the show, but no. in the book he just looks more cartoonish. Like yeah. he doesn't even look. It's like it's like an even meaner version. Like you could tell <laughs> that. I think the creators probably said some pretty off color stuff while they were creating yeah. him because it they just it's like pretty mean. <laughs> but uh. At the same time, he's treated like such a joke because of the whole notion of, like, keeping that bloodline pure is mm-hmm. a joke. Like, it's yeah. disgusting, and yet it's not outside the realm of possibility <laughs> that somebody would be like, "Yeah, we got to do that." The like, the thing is, is that he plays both of them. Tyson Ritter plays both of them 
in very different ways. Obviously, they are very different characters, but he's endearing for different reasons yeah. for both of them. Like any Jesus, like I feel like there's a lot of, um, at least in my mind, share for what you would think of Jesus would be like the traditionally handsome, like I, very stoic. I'm, I'm stoic, but charismatic yes. and and you know just like but that i feel like ritter's performance is just very like understated hey i'm jesus right you know? regular and, guy and it works extremely well for it some makes reason. me bummed out that we haven't seen more portrayals of jesus like that because <laughs> yeah. by the time we see him as like an adult in movies he's usually always very like just collected and wise and soft-spoken and very like, hmm. And if you look at the list of dudes who have played Jesus, like all these triple-A Hollywood guys, they they all play it that way for yeah. the most part, which is I think generally there's so much fear of like if you're irreverent. Like there's, there's so much inherently questionable about someone taking on that role. Yeah. Well, and, and then I think the idea of humanizing him is probably really appealing to actors, but yeah. I think that people who want to make money from movies are probably like, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta play Christ as though he's already died and risen. Like you gotta, you gotta be like that from the start. And like, I like this portrayal a lot. Yeah. The fact that there's Jesus who calls him dad, like is, is like, that's like 90% of the way for me. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. I would love to actually see, I mean, it wouldn't work without the same like kind of creative team behind it, but like a portrayal of Jesus as like a more, scared man someone yeah. who is like conflicted all the time about being the son of wasn't of there God. a show i guess jesus christ superstar has a lot of that which bruce actually posted a song from jesus christ superstar he in the did. discord at one point which <laughs> i thought was great uh have you ever seen it i have not the movie no i didn't see it until my wife showed it to me years ago probably five years ago and i i like it it's it's pretty cool yeah it's a cool idea and most of the music is pretty great no, I've always wanted to see it. Uh, I know it's one of Ben Folds' favorite uh, musicals, as he he aped a little bit of it off of from from one of the Ben Folds Five albums. But that makes sense. It is very dynamic at times. Like yeah. it's pretty impressive. So one of these days, I will probably get around to it. I was thinking of a show called John from Cincinnati. I feel like I remember hearing that that was like, I don't know. I'm going way overboard here and i have no idea anything about the show so i'm not going to say anything about it but anyway look that up but no like the the idea of like a more um down-to-earth jesus i I love it i wonder if if anybody knows of any portrayals out there anything that kind of plays in that realm let us know because maybe there's something out there that we don't know about that's true and most of the like jesus-y movies i have seen in my life were when i was a little younger so i could probably come at it from a different point of view now and maybe when you're not looking up at him as like you know yeah when you're not a kid yeah and y- yeah exactly yeah so uh anything else about that not a whole lot to talk uh about oh there. i loved the uh when tulip's like i want to do it in front of him and cassie's like we are in front of him he's god <laughs> yeah. and i was like that's my question though yeah is he we don't know are you in front mm-hmm. of him yeah and i was like cassidy clearly thinks so and I think Cassidy is often the audience's perspective on most situations in some ways. We're playing very fast and loose with all of that. Like I talked to you, I said something about the fact that Jesse dying, like how is Genesis still with him? Yeah. 
uh, and you know they they obviously don't really maybe they don't have the time or maybe they just don't care to like establish like they also might just be rules. saying like it doesn't matter yeah so it's genesis it's god it doesn't matter yeah like, you don't you don't need to know yeah that's, which we talked about also yeah uh, that's i guess i'm gonna just tell myself that's what they're saying <laughs> for now <laughs> until there's evidence to the that contrary. was cool though how the rain just stopped yeah which to me signaled he was aware. He was there. Yeah. yeah. And was just calling their bluff. Yeah. Saying, all right, if it's so easy, do it. And honestly, if they didn't do it then, they were never going to because the That's more true. time you spend with him, clearly. The the more attached you'll be. Yeah. All right. In Act 2, Hairstar returns to Masada to have Hitler and Jesus pitch him on using Jesus as the Messiah since Humperdue cannot be found. After a brief break dancing brief break dancing sequence, Star calls them off, letting them know that it's not up to him and that God wants Humperdue, not Jesus. Chilip and Cassidy search the woods after Cassidy loses track of Humperdue after peeing. They start to argue, they look over and see Humperdue doing his best Disney princess impression with two deer practically eating out of his hands. Cassidy calls Humperdue back, explaining they'll have to check him for ticks, and Tulip looks relieved to have found Humperdue, but also worried about Cassidy's close relationship with him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, at the beginning of that, <laughs> yeah, Star showing up bearded and with a with a uh, prosthetic leg and mm-hmm. interesting. I didn't know if the squeak was his was his leg or if that was also meant to be his genitals his as well. Faucet. Yeah, but. Um, breakdancing Jesus was good. I yeah. Now we've gone from Jesus tap dancing Christ to Jesus breakdancing Christ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was quite good. The uh, fact, like how much? Uh, what was my note here? Oh, the way that he and Hitler had clearly practiced this moment was amazing. How Hitler's like helps him get his robes off. And yes. Uh, like, I, I, I put my one of my notes here is Hitler cheers them on like a dance mom. <laughs> yeah, they they. They clearly had run through it together, like, okay, and then you'll say this, and I'll say, and then help me take my robe off. (laughs) It reminded me of, like, when two little kids would, like, practice, like, putting on a show in their room, Mm -hmm. and then they'd run out to their parents and be like, look it, and they would run through it, and you'd just be like, this is clumsy and adorable, (laughs) but ultimately not good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. It was exactly like that. It was very funny. I liked the the choice of breakdancing. And, like, the piece of cardboard and everything. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So good. (laughs) In the wardrobe. Star, star's line of, it's not up to me, so save your ghetto gyrations for someone whose dick doesn't require constant descaling. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> yeah. That made me laugh because I was like, all right, there's a little bit of the old star magic. <laughs> he just needs that dialogue. He needs yeah. those crazy lines, like things that nobody in real life would ever say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the just Cassidy walking around the woods yelling out hump yeah hump <laughs> it's like all right this and shouldn't then the work, shot of him in the meadow yeah. in the clearing with these deer. <laughs> so funny yes yeah and all of Cassidy's dialogue after that that was biblical man he keeps on <laughs> yeah. he's like we're gonna have to check you for ticks and Humper do seem, seems to understand he's like bummed out he's like, like well you know <laughs> it is what it is yeah. and I just love the relationship it's like one part brotherly, one part like fatherly. Yeah, it's just really, really funny. It's and like uh, it's like fulfillment of what he thought life with with Dennis was gonna be. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's in true. some way, a more receptive son. But man, it is very. Remember when Dennis was in the show? 
<laughs> Barely. God, that feels like eons ago. Right. It's so far in the rear view, and yet it's not. No. It was two years ago. Wow. I mean, these last two years have been really busy. So True. A lot of shit has gone down in these last two years. But, but. even just in like the parlance of the show. Oh, like, yeah. Season one, I remember um, at one point, I think during season two, I had gone back to watch through all of season one and season two in preparation for our season wrap up that we never did for season two. Mm. And There's still time at that point, season one felt like just a completely different show. But I feel like as we kind of move back through, it'll be interesting if we can like pick a couple episodes to kind of refresh our brains on what the whole what the journey's been like before we talk about everything. Yeah, that would be cool. Because, man. Each season has been really distinctly different. Absolutely. Now that I think about it. Yeah. I think three is my favorite so far. Yeah. One is really cool. Yeah. Even two is not bad. It's fine. Two is okay. Just two is like shorter. most season twos and most shows, I feel like. Yeah. Three is, three is quite good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the most um, Three feels representative like, of... Yeah, and it feels like it struck the right balance between staying true to the book and also adapting. Expanding. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about this season now and thinking about, you know, at some point they were faced with a decision of like, okay, listen, you, we've been renewed for one more. We got to wrap it up. What are we going to pull off? Right. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, I mean, looking back at the previous three seasons, I don't really see much of anything that has been like part of the overall through line of the show like it feels like each season was kind of its own self-contained thing yeah and like season two as much as it was kind of a drag it was the only one where jesse was like i gotta find god to confront him even when he does confront him in this episode i was like oh it's finally like this is it it's finally happening and it was so perfunctory not what i expected at all i was like why is jesse groveling at first like it just was the complete antithesis of the book that it kind of was off-putting. Well, and that's kind of the weird thing that I was gonna uh, that I that I maybe kind of want to ask about, but not necessarily have you answer. Is like we're almost getting this like from our previous discussions. I had this indication of like Jesse needs to talk to God, and that is that is what we're getting to. Mm-hmm. But it feels like the show has made this like a two-part encounter of like Jesse's talked with God, found out that God is an asshole for sure, and now he's going to come back later with Genesis is kind of the indication that I'm getting that like by episode 10 there's going to be some actual confrontation, quote-unquote, but I don't... Who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'm so muddy on Jesse's entire character at this point because I feel like season to season he's kind of ping-ponged around between like good and like faithful son to God and then like angry and like I need answers more of the Jesse that we expected from the books like by the end of season one by the finale I was like okay he's there yep and season two he spent most of the time and then in three he's kind of not really worried about it he still is like oh we got to find God and then four, all of a sudden now he's kind of like going back to like, I want to be good. I want God to like me basically instead of like, I want God to explain himself and he gets there by the end of the scene. But at the same time, I'm like, what have we been doing the last three seasons? Like I thought that we were already at that point. 
Yeah. Well, and the fact that like we don't, um, it feels like Jesse still doesn't realize that everything he's experienced this season has been manipulated by God. Yeah. To to push him one way or another. And I feel like that right that realization should have happened in the plane, you know, when they were headed to God. But I, I, I who knows? Like there's some type of cognitive dissonance and maybe being brought into hell and, and experiencing these cosmic forces and the idea of being dead itself kind of like maybe when you're faced with death as 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 someone who believes you default back to to what you hope is true, right? And so maybe that's true. maybe that's why Jesse is is quick to give God that moment that he that he rewound with of Abraham, you know, kneeling down and Yeah, he's just so glad to see him at that point instead of being in hell. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. I mean, we've seen enough like in enough movies about like prison and stuff. There's like a really it'll be somebody really rebellious and they throw him in the hole for 30 days and then they come out and they're they're good. Yeah. They're docile. Yeah. So I I don't know, but we we can we can maybe come back. that was this was God's version of trying to break the wild horse that is Jesse. Yeah, yeah, that was the carving the vagina into his soul, yeah. like he was trying to. But at the same time, like I I don't know, there's still such a big question mark of like what did God expect to happen in this interaction? Yeah, well, we just jumped ahead, didn't we? We did a little bit, so we'll get there. Okay. We'll come back. Um, we'll repeat all that yes. later. <laughs> I will cut it out and then paste. No, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Act three, a drunken, dejected, and naked hair star decides to try and kill himself. He ties his little Mr. Dusseldorf 1979 sash to the overhead lighting in his office and ties it around his neck like a noose. After closing his hands in handcuffs, he steps off the table only to find that he didn't tie the sash tight enough. As he falls from the sash, it catches his nipple chains and rips off both of his nipples. The star lays in a pile of his own urine. We see God appear in a reflection of that urine. He still promises to restore Star's beauty if he retrieves Humperdoo. Star doesn't know where Humperdoo is, but God says he just has to ask. Jesse waits in a rat-infested barrel when he hears screams and gunshots outside of his cell. The saint of killers has come to collect him. Jesse and the saint rest up at night near a campfire. When the saint tells a story about a drunken general who misled his men, Jesse realizes that the saint has never talked to him this much before and that he still hears screams. He comes to on the floor of God's office once again with Fior and his band of angels, now demons, forced to foist him upon God's throne themselves. When they do, we hear God tell Jesse to live, causing him to dig himself out of his grave in the Australian outback. Stars attempted suicide. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, we? pretty much. I, I did like, like that God appeared in the urine. Right. <laughs> like that was that was a pretty good reflection <laughs> shot. I liked that he chose the sash. It was like that yeah. made me chuckle. He still out. had like, the sash. Yeah, it's so pathetic. <laughs> That's whatever. <laughs> the sight of the chains hanging there with like the little bits of nipple. Yes. I was like, imagine this set. <laughs> like walk out of the set <laughs> of the show and just being like, yep. Well, his nipples aren't quite bloody enough. Yeah, exactly. Go they're, back not, and they're really not reading on camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, why does God know where Humperdoo is? What does it matter? Who cares? Why? <laughs> like, what is the... <laughs> We're, I think, at the point 
as audience members where a bingeable format of the show might be better. Yeah. Because it does feel like we're left in the lurch each week kind of like yeah. grasping for it. And I'm I'm willing to bet it's going to pay off, but I'm just like I'm real worried about episode nine. <laughs> this is the way I feel watching Game of Thrones. I am not a fan of Game of Thrones. And when I was watching it week to week, I was like, this show is not good. Why does everyone like it? I'm like, nothing happens until episode nine. Yeah. You spend all these episodes of just people looking at each other and being degenerates. And then like you get to episode nine, there's a big fight. <laughs> Several people die. Yeah. And then you get a little <laughs> bit of falling action and setting up the chess pieces again. And then there's another whole nother season of that shit. Now, every time I was like, why don't what am I missing? <laughs> but anyway, I liked season season one of, was really good. Yeah. Uh, but then you you got you know Sean Bean. You lose you lose Sean Bean. I mean, yeah, spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> for for eight years ago, <laughs> nine years ago, whatever it was. Uh, yeah. Like anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Like some some not in this era of like TV binging. I feel like not all shows are good week to week mm-hmm. and that, some shows suffer from being binged and some are a little bit better actually i think they all suffer but so does netflix apparently because now they're experimenting with releasing things weekly instead yeah. of all at once which i think is a great idea but i'm afraid that we're too far down now where people are just angry because they're like oh, i want i want to watch it all now <laughs> and they're just like i saw so many people online freaking out like oh, i want i don't want to just watch one episode of the great british bake-off i want to watch three <laughs> And like I, I while I get that we've been we've been conditioned now in our, a in, our, yeah. in a very short time span oh yeah to ec- to expect this like people did do this with animals in cages with I was food. talking <laughs> with somebody at work about Lost and the fact that like cuz my mom used to watch it I I kind of really only caught bits and pieces of yeah. it here and there That was a show where they took their off weeks to show you recaps of what was going on with that show Yeah like Nicole and I watch like a like a show on ABC. I think it's called A Million Little Things. And when it's on the air, like they did one season last last year so far, and season two is going to air soon. But like, there's weeks where they don't have an episode, and it's like I'm like, how did we live like this? Because I want to watch it all now. Like we just caught up on Succession, and we watched this week's episode, and I was like, there's not another one to watch when I get home today. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to be critical of the idea of like, just in my household, we didn't have like a show. Mm. I mean, maybe having parents that were divorced was a factor because you were kind of in different places sometimes, but it wasn't like, you know, uh, you know, Monday nights at, at eight, the whole family gathered, gathered around and, and watched whatever. Yeah. We just never did that. And I was always very judgmental of people where I was like, I don't... I don't base my nights around <laughs> television. And like, what an you asshole, plebs. first of all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was I was reading <laughs> so I could criticize your spelling later in life, 30 years later. Uh, <clears throat> but now I kind of get it because you do all the stuff you have to do that day. That's your 30-minute reward. Mm-hmm. And then you go about your week and you yeah. do the rest of the stuff you have to do throughout the week. And you don't watch tv for five hours every night <laughs> and now that's just the model now which is crazy that yeah. that that <laughs> it's like normal <laughs> and 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 i totally get it like on the one hand it's great but uh i also think that the old model of tv was was awesome because you would you'd have more time to to digest it to mull it over and yeah. your your brain could retain it like 
I still remember so many more details of watching Lost week to week than I do of like it, whatever the last show is that I just binged on TV because like Daredevil season three, we'll say. I mean, I stopped watching it after episode like seven and I just yeah. went back a few weeks ago and finally finished it. I watched like five episodes in like a weekend or whatever. But like I don't, I don't, I don't retain it the same way because I, I think your brain needs the time to kind of like bake it Internalize. in. Internalize. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you immediately push it out with the latest episode you just watched, it doesn't have time to register. Well, and the weird thing is to me, not only that, but like you would think there's some kind of, I wonder what kind of adjustments in like plotting out a season of television has undergone. Oh, like, yeah, there was still the point of like, we like cliffhangers because we want you to come back next week. And, And so in this world that we live in, where Netflix drops a whole season at once, they still program to like, we we want you to hit that skip to next episode button. Yeah, we want you to hit again. Like, So you would think there's not that fundamental of a shift, but it feels like there has to be something that they're doing different in terms of just like the overall plotting of a season. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I than, look at this. is the, you, you brought it back full circle. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I was thinking about this morning. I'm okay. What is wrong with the season of Preacher? And I was thinking, okay, every episode of a show should have a beginning and a middle and an end. Mm-hmm. Each episode, like I was, or I was comparing it to the comic, and I was like, if I was reading an issue of Preacher, the comic, I feel like every issue you could chart out a beginning, a middle, and an end. You could chart where characters are being pushed along, where the story is being advanced. You could probably, I'm sure, somebody who is a writer, who who is an an English major, or something could could draw out a really wonderful diagram of what is supposed to happen in each issue of a comic, each episode of a TV show, whatever. Kind of like. Uh, there's a really cool video on YouTube of Christopher Nolan uh, in like a classroom somewhere mm. with like a chalkboard writing out the entire story structure of Memento like in like a diagram mm. and it's amazing. I don't have much of an attention span because see the last five minutes we just <laughs> talked about. But on uh, this video, especially on YouTube, if you send me a YouTube link, you came and watch this and it's more than 30 seconds, the odds are I'm really like, good. Mm. I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I'll watch it later and then <laughs> never watch it or start it so I can like reference it and be like, oh, I love that one line <laughs> and then move on. <laughs> but this video is like 20 minutes and I watched the whole thing one yeah. day just in a shot because it's so cool and he just so confidently break and it was like years after the movie was out somebody was like oh explain it he was like okay and like read a piece of chalk it's so weird because you're like was he at parent teacher conferences like what's (laughs) going on he's in like a classroom uh but it's really good and he draws out the whole thing and it's really cool to watch and it makes you appreciate the movie even more if if possible uh but i would love to see somebody do that with like you know just what each what the structure of a good story should be in terms of episodic content like this but i was thinking about this show uh as it applies to this show, I might drive into work this morning and I was like, does each ep- does this last episode have a beginning, a middle, and an end? And I was like, I guess in terms of Jesse, it does. In the beginning, he's in hell. In the middle, he's tempted again. He has a confrontation at the end. He's brought back to life. He has this confrontation with God and he's brought back to his friends. That feels like a full episode journey for Jesse. Yeah. But then I think about like Tulip and Cassie, do they kind of they bring Humperdue to the house they're at the house with Humperdue and they have a routine and then he's taken away and their new objective is to go get him mm-hmm. okay good and then I think about Star and I'm like does he even less so kind of like he's Star <laughs> he gets rescued he's, and he then tries to kill himself then he succeeds and God gives him his looks back kind yeah. of and like but it's you know what I mean it starts to get unclear here I'm like d- was that is that a story? Is that an arc? I guess, but it feels like story elements thrown together. Yeah. 
And it's just, so if I chart it out like that, I feel like, okay, that feels satisfactory. That feels like even just those three, those three groups of characters, right? But then why am I, why do I not feel that? Like the momentum of that is not evident to me. Well, and that's one of the things that I, that I wanted to know about this episode and especially later on with our favorite character, Eugene. Uh, Yeah. And this whole season, we've been getting these bits and pieces of moments like even in this in this episode we we see a little bit of jesse with the ants and then it cuts away we see some star we see some cassidy and tulip and humperdew and then it comes back to jesse and he's like on fire in hell Mm. and then we leave jesse again and it's not you're not even really getting this like what is jesse really experiencing here how is he feeling it what is it doing to who he is as a person yep you just gloss over it like Jesse's getting tor like the fact that I can sum up that those bits as Jesse gets tortured in hell shows how kind of mundane and pointless they were to me the viewer yeah uh, that was running through my mind earlier too like we don't Jesse at this point in the show because they've had that one season restraint put on them yeah he's not even we don't get to see him react to anything He's no. just he is being moved from plot point to plot point to plot point so quickly and we don't get to spend any time with him like internalizing anything or watching him react to anything it's just like that feels like the way the whole season has been with the exception of like the raft I think we got to see some of that we've gotten we have gotten moments but especially in this episode I'm like this feels like something that we should talk about or we even watching him bounce off somebody else in hell but Jesse Custer is a tricky character because he doesn't really do that in the books. Like yeah. he doesn't in this sequence actually when he was uh talking to Fior, that old like Jesse Custer defiance is is there. It's great. What is the oh, he had one line I wrote down. Oh, when he's like I like biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Fior. That was perfect. That was such a perfect line. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, that could pretty much come out of the books. Like Bruce, Bruce brought that one up too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because it's if you've read the book, you're like, yeah, that's pitch perfect. Like that's exactly <laughs> the kind of thing he would say. And in the face of all this, just be like, whatever. I like biscuits. Is <laughs> spot on. Yeah. So I'm so torn because I want to see. We've left the comic behind. Yeah. In terms of how these people are characterized, we've we've gone much deeper with them so i want to see a little bit of that i want to see the effect it's having on jesse and he we kind of do i guess when he's talking to god because he seems pretty broken by that point yeah he's just putting on a a brave face for these three months he's been in hell which probably feel like a lot longer eternity yeah. yeah yeah um yeah jesse pulling himself out of the grave was pretty good uh Bruce called it the end of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which I've never seen, so I can't really... I've seen it <laughs> a number of times. I just can't put together what part he's talking about. Yeah, but... That movie. I, <laughs> I saw that in the theater up north. I think in <laughs> Sheboygan. Because I remember that came out in 2003? That seems a little late. Maybe it's 2001. I think it's an odd number. Uh, 2003. 2003. Shit, that's stupid. <laughs> I remember being up north and my grandpa reading the paper and looking up the movie Showtimes and he was like, 
oh, this movie looks cool. <laughs> like we went to see it. It's you not, know what's great? It's not very cool. I also saw a movie in Sheboygan that same summer, and it was Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. No! <laughs> Another winner. That was July 2nd, and Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen was July 11th. So oh we could have been there at the same dude. That's in the wild. same nexus of time. Does your, did your family have a place up there somewhere? My my uncle has a has a cabin on Black Lake, uh, up, which is it's like maybe 40 minutes from Sheboygan or so. So sometimes we'd hop over to go see a movie. Okay. Is it east of the bridge? Uh, I couldn't tell you, honestly. Okay. I don't know that I've looked at it on a map since I've been able to internalize what a map is. Okay. But, gotcha. Yeah. It does involve reading. So. Yeah, yeah, true. There's things on a that's, page. That's crazy to think that we might have been up there the same. <laughs> we were likely yeah. up there at the same summer, yeah. if not even like around Sheboygan at the exact same time. Yeah. yeah I don't know when during... Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's run. I was up <laughs> you there. Have seen it came it. out in July. Yeah, yeah. At what point does it get to Sheboygan? We were probably Sheboygan. there in August. Yeah, it's generally when we were up north. Yeah, that's really funny. That's those are two good up north movies. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> those are movies you see in the city. <laughs> yeah. uh, you go up north. You go where they have two screens. And <laughs> oh yeah, and there's probably a lot. Those are your two choices. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Say Dan, if we do, Dan, if we don't. <laughs> Sean Connery or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Act four, Featherstone and Star get the jump on Cassidy, Tulip, and Humperdew as they sit down to eat blueberry hamburgers that Tulip has prepared. They use sonic nauseators to make Humperdew and Cassidy vomit as Tulip realizes what's going on. Tulip tells Humperdew to go to the moon when Featherstone bursts in. Tulip vomits and gets pistol whipped by Featherstone and Cassidy slips in the vomit. Featherstone and Star leave the house to get to the Christ child outside and when Tulip requests the detonator from Cassidy, he won't willingly give it up so she buries an axe in his chest to disable him. She runs up to the window with the detonator, but she hesitates when she sees Humperdew in the fridge. As he is getting pulled away, she tries to de- detonate the vest, but it doesn't work. Tulip tells Cassidy they have to go get him, and Cassidy wonders if it's to save him or kill him. Meanwhile, Jesse walks the desert when he spots an RV on the horizon. After flagging it down, it heads towards him, and he realizes that God is the one driving it. God gets out of the RV and starts heading to Jesse, exclaiming, Hello, my child. Uh, blueberry hamburger is something I'd be willing to try. <laughs> we'll just put it out there. All I right. like blueberries. I love blueberries. It could be okay. But I liked how yeah. Joe takes one bite of it and then does not chew ever again in that <laughs> entire scene until he throws up. He's just holding it in his cheek <laughs> the entire time. Humperdue's like you know pulling it apart and eating it a little bit. I wonder if the was it a beef patty with blueberries on top, or I, was it a patty made of blueberries? I think it was a beef patty with blueberries on top oh. was the idea, but I don't know. Why? I don't know for sure. What, I, I mean, yeah, I couldn't remember if there were any other jokes about tulip cooking previously. Probably, I think there might have been, but uh, Sonic nauseators, good. Fine. People throwing up on each other. Yeah, always Once good. again, you know, feels like it's just meant to be gross, but okay. Yep. Um, Tulip being unable to... So it was interesting. I, I looked at the, sub, at the subreddit and somebody commented that they liked the three fake outs, quote unquote, of, of the episode. One of which was Star, the child who was supposedly Star, and then they show you that it's really just Star. And then there was 
another one and then the third one was this and they said that tulip seeming like she wasn't able to kill him but then trying to press the button and for it to not work and for it to not work but like i guess my question is did you did you feel as though she hesitated because of a connection to humperdue or do you think it was meant to be played for the laugh that that guy apparently got on reddit somewhere no i think it was because she hesitated because she views him as a person not a bargaining chip yeah and they even say earlier in the episode that he that he's like growing on them and she's yeah. like he's adorable she says he's adorable, he's adorable. At one point yeah. And yeah she likes him but we have sure. to remember is, is yeah but i think that you know it, she probably reached I was talking last week about her like backslide into like mm. violence and all that. And I think she probably reached her lowest point here where she was willing to blow up an innocent. And we don't really spend any time with her after that. I mean, she was going to do it. Yeah. She pushed the button. She wanted to do it. Yeah. And she did. It didn't work, which is like almost even worse that now she has to live with. I would have done that. I would have blown him up. And he'd be dead if it wasn't for it not working. And like, I'd love to see her dealing with that a little bit. And we're not going to for yeah. sure. Cause like it just moves on and we get another joke scene between her and Cassidy and that's it. So she's just gonna be like, yeah, whatever. All right. Now we got to go save him. Yeah. Rather than be like, Oh, I would, would have killed him. Mm-hmm. So whatever. Cassidy being like, it's going to suck getting this ax out. Yeah. <laughs> Saying he was mansplaining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's good. That's pretty good. Um, and then, yeah, Jesse flagging down. God, we can just get right into that. Uh, got, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. God assures Jesse that he's the real deal, not some trick in hell. Jesse is so happy. He thinks his whole life has been a test and he passed. He's on his knees embracing God, just like Abraham. God tells him he got so close, but he sinned in his heart when he wanted to take the throne. Jesse thinks it's bullshit that God would end the world because he was tempted. God remarks about free will and how he made humans in his image and a little thanks would be nice. But Jesse talks back asking what to give thanks for kids with cancer or the Kardashians. God asks if Jesse's father raised him to look his Lord right in the eye and then sucks out Jesse's eye. This creation has been a nice run, but it's time for the apocalypse and Jesse and his friends still have a part to play. So I'll stop there before we get to the other two sequences. Okay. Yeah, this felt very anticlimactic to me. Um, is this how Jesse loses his eye in the comic also? Yes. I guess, okay, so it is God removing his eye. Yes, because he's pissed at him. Mm. It's actually pretty similar in terms of like, I think he even says something like that, like you should be, you're ungrateful basically. Yeah. But it, it, it doesn't work. It was missing an impact that I was expecting. It doesn't know? work because they tried to do the book and they tried to do the show at the same time, and yeah. that doesn't work. That's blueberry burgers. Like <laughs> that doesn't work. And is this an episode of blueberry burgers? <laughs> no, this is an episode of that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, no, I just uh, it works really well in the book, and it could work in the show. I just think it doesn't. I shouldn't say it doesn't. No, it it doesn't work. But it might work when the series ends. My the big lingering question is what 
the hell is God's plan? Yeah. What is he driving? I mean, we know what he's driving toward, but he's like, you have a part to play still. And he like leaves. I mean, in the book, these events are all compounded. Jesse falls out of the plane. We think he's dead. And then the, the book carries on for a little while and then you catch up with him later. Yeah. And he doesn't go to hell or any of that. He does have a conversation with God. It does go down very similarly, but God is once again telling him to leave him alone. Mm -hmm. And he does rip out his eye, but he doesn't leave Jesse because he's done talking to him. He's interrupted by something he doesn't want to deal with. Hmm. And it's really, really good in the book. And I thought it was going to happen in the show. I extra thought it was going to happen based on what happened his last week, the one where he fell out of the plane, or two weeks ago? Two, uh, two weeks ago. Last week. Why do I not even know? Anyway, whatever. No, two weeks ago. There was something, there was a clue visually based around that that I thought something was going to happen and that it didn't. Oh, yeah, it was two weeks ago because last week was when he yeah. was in heaven. So. Yep. Um, and it didn't, and I'm so bummed because, like, it is obviously where they're going now is not the same ending as the book. Like, that seems really clear to me now because if they are doing that, they're missing a lot of really, really good opportunities to kind of lay some some foundations of things that will get us there eventually. Later, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, once again, it's, it's so much better in the book. Even the conversation is better. Yeah. It's better written and it's better visually. And I, I'm really bummed because I like, I love what Mark Harlick is doing. Like, it's really cool that this has turned into like a character. I was going to ask you, like, do you think how much of your interpretation of this has to do with what has to do with God being an actual character? Like presumably in the book, you get a little bit of backstory about God, but this interaction is probably the first time you like see God, right? Or close to it. Uh, yes. You mean in the book? Yeah. You do see him before, but you don't... Actually, this is probably the first time you see what he looks like. Okay. Because other times when he's there talking to characters, it's usually just like... A they, glow they are off. They are cast in yeah. like a golden light, or you see like a, an arm. A finger. Yeah, you see an <laughs> arm pointing. Yeah, exactly. It's really funny, actually. Um, and like a command, but yeah. I think this might be the first time where you see him full on. But but you're not you're not that's spending not, that, time that, with him. You're not wondering what yeah. his motivations are necessarily, other than the big question of why did he leave? Like any any like it it feels weird to me that we have this context of God is trying to pull off some plan. Well, and the thing is, the show is making God shittier than he is in the comic because. In the comic, he just is like kind of at least my read on it is he's he's disappointed in us. Yeah. But at the same time, he's he's watched. He's trying to. You kind of he's get, not replacing us. Which you kind is of get where he's we, coming from. Yeah. He's like, you know, this is what has happened, and then you get where the other characters are coming from because they're like, you started this. Like, help us fix it or like guide us back to being good again, kind of thing. You can't just leave. You got to help fix what you broke, and you you get both sides of the argument. In the show, he's like, it's not working out. Like, whatever. And like, well, I do kind of understand that. At the same time, you can't possibly look at humanity and be like, "Oh, it's just a you know bad sketch." This went wrong. Like two thousand years later, you're like, "This went wrong," right? Right, exactly. You know, so it and that's the thing. Like, I think we talked about how it was weird that Genesis escaping was the catalyst for God to leave. 
but he's never talked about Genesis. Yeah, we, so we haven't quite figured out what's going to happen with that yet. And the fact that Jesse doesn't use Genesis at all here was weird to me too. Like it, and that's why they talk when they do in the book because he can talk to him face to face because he's dead. He can't use it. Yeah, and they undid that without. Right. Yeah, like what was the point of that? Well, plus the show he's shittier in the show because he's also like a walking terms of service clause the way he treats Jesse, he's like oh well you send in your heart (laughs) you can't do that and jesse's like fucking what we all do that like that's human that's being human is being tempted he's like it doesn't matter what i was thinking and what when but right i mean what What matters is what what i I did did. yeah yeah and god's like well sorry man like that's the way that's well that's the way it goes i gotta i gotta scorch everything now <laughs> i think that's softened with time a little bit too i think some of the puritanical like that's a very puritanical god that you're looking at right there the the idea of like these impure thoughts these white lies and things that you're telling are ultimately the reason you're not going to heaven right it's like the game is rigged i mean and jesse even says like absolutely you make it seem like there was never even a chance. A chance. Yes. And which, which, if that's true, what's the point? What, what's the point of it all? So, so in, in some, I think it comes at, born out of two things. It comes out of like a puritanical interpretation of who God is, like fear of God, and that, that's what the name of the, the episode is: is fear of the Lord. Yeah. But then there's also a little bit of the militant atheist, our atheism person, who's <laughs> like, God is clearly this petulant about the <laughs> creation that he's made and you know that type of thing so i that thesis is maybe maybe that's where god is in in the creators of the show's mind rather than than um yeah it's and just and dylan's uh, kind of interpretation of everything yeah it's just not interesting it's not as interesting as it is in the book and i mean the book has been written you've been adapting <laughs> The it's book. There. Well, use the book. We look got at, look at the book and see what works. We've got at least another ninety minutes of show, if not more, left. And and I I get what you're saying. It feels like we're vastly off track, but and like I said at the very beginning of this segment, uh, to where this where the series ends will likely recontextualize some of these moments. Yes, which is why I'm I'm not like completely despairing this podcast is over now yeah episode we're done (laughs) fuck pack up everything (laughs) go home yeah yeah but i in terms of strictly comic fan this scene was very dissatisfying because it's it's a huge moment in the book and it felt underwhelming like you said i felt it too as somebody just watching like and it's some of dominic cooper's best stuff in the season which is great like he that look in his eye when God tells him that he just kind of narrows his eye. Like, what? <laughs> he kind of looks up at him like, "Are you serious?" Yeah, yeah. But this is—it's very much like a meeting that we have been anticipating since the end of season one. Well, even and, yeah, know? and I had to say to myself out loud, like, "Oh, oh, this is the first time they've met. Like, this should be huge." Yes. Like the shot, the wide shot of God w- approaching him. I was like, "Oh, this is it. This is that." Okay, like cool i wasn't necessarily expecting it in episode eight of the season which is why part of me is I'm like i'm glad it did i think the episode 10 or whatever it will be whatever their next meeting will be is going to be where the sparks fly and if they have one yeah they might not 
So we shall see. Uh, the rest of Act 5. Star brings Humperdoo back to Masada, and we see him restored to his full beauty, a full head of blonde <laughs> hair and no scar on his eye. He announces that the apocalypse has an air date, while Hitler and Jesus look a little disappointed. We cut back to the first scene of the season with Tulip and Cassidy in the hotel room preparing for something. We also cut over to Eugene picking up a guitar in prison. Back to Tulip and Cassidy, they finally slept together again, it seems, and Cassidy finally seems happy when there's a knock at the door. It's Jesse, and Tulip runs right back into his arms, causing Cassidy to snicker. So they're they're back at Masada. Basically. They're, they're back they're at the at, Holy Bar and Grail. Yes. And we still hear, if you had the captions on, you see like captions that say like woman yelling and like screaming. I, the angel and the devil are still going at it, I think. I think they're still killing each okay, other. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, when well, there's a the knock at the door, Cassidy's Cassidy, like, Cassidy says, I'll help, I'll help you with the bodies tomorrow or whatever yeah, he says. I think they're still fighting down there. Well, and Tulip, Tulip's question to him is something like, your guy can get us in. So I think they're going to use the angel to get back into Masada yes. is the idea. Yep. So that's interesting. I, I didn't I didn't put that together with the fighting that was going on in the background. But Well, when the season started sense. and that scene showed the first time, I saw those in the captions and I thought it was somebody being tortured yeah. next door. And I was like, okay, that'll we'll come back to that later. But yeah, yeah I think they've spent three months just warring, fighting it out know. in the Holy Byron Grail. It's or alternating good. between like banging each other and then fighting. <laughs> True. Which is probably what happened. <laughs> probably the actual. Um, I have a note that said Star with hair is just a Sutherland because he looks <laughs> like... <laughs> He looks like comes back to Sutherland. If you took all of the Sutherland men <laughs> and merged them, merged them, I feel like it would be close <laughs> to what Hairstar looks like with that shitty wig. That's pretty wonderful. I'll take that. That is a really shit. That's an extra shitty. Oh, wig it's great too. though. I it's, love it. It's like a wig from. It reminds me of somebody from Willy Wonka. I just can't place it. <laughs> he look. It's almost. It's almost kind of like. Well, I guess more towards the the one when he was a kid is kind of like a He-Man wig. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And this this one's got a little bit more like layering and feathering to it, I guess. It's a little better, <laughs> a little updated. But no, it's weird. I think Pip Torrens is one of those people where he he look, just looks so right bald right. that anything is going to look completely. He wrong would look on strange his head. with hair. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, he. But this is the occasion where a shitty wig is good. Oh yeah, no. you gotta have a shitty wig. Uh, absolutely. And that's the thing. One of one of Bruce's questions is do you, do we think that Star's looks have actually been or really been restored? I'm wondering if it's not an illusion of some sort. I kind of think it is based on this portrayal of God. He's not going to just do that. He's pretty mean. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm still left wondering why. What's the point of of any of it? But hopefully the shoe drops and I'm like, "Okay, all right." So, we'll see, I guess. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, whatever. I'm looking forward to a wigged star for another episode or two. <laughs> uh, and I did the, the final moment of the episode of Jesse and, and Tulip embracing. And then we cut to see Cassidy still at the door with like the door open and he just laughs. He like scoff. It's like a, it's like a, yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's like, of course. Yep. Of course this happens to me now now yeah yep. so yeah right when it all seemed like it was gonna work out yeah yeah i don't know man 
I don't know what the I it, I feel. Do you feel as like unsure of where we're really headed? Oh yeah. As I like, like there there's this looming specter of the apocalypse over everything and this plan that God has. But other than that, like there's part of me that's like, is this going to be a fight club ish type of ending where the apocalypse does occur, but they still have each other uh, or like, yeah, I don't, I truthfully, I don't know. Yeah. I know. It is possible still to get to close to the ending of the book. Yeah. But not in a way that will make any sense to you. Hmm. At this point, it's already, we're going so far down this direction that to try to come back and make the correct turn back to the books would. Are you saying we can't take the blueberries off the hamburger? (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying. Maybe you can add something to offset the blueberry <laughs> or to tie it all together. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. It. It's. I think that we will get... Uh, Bruce and I were kind of talking about this a little bit in the Discord. I think that it's possible to retain elements of the ending, certain beats, but I, th- as far as like... I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. Do you think you could be satisfied by whatever ending the show will posit? Is there still room for that to happen? Yeah, I think so. I think there are like three to five things I'd like to see. And they're not all big. Some of them are big, but some of them are just small exchanges between characters and and certain things that would make me satisfied. But is one of those Eugene and the Saint of Killers reuniting? (laughs) Uh, six things that I'd like to see. <laughs> no, actually, it seems like they're setting Eugene up t- for his ultimate fate, sort of from the comics. Which who fucking cares at this point? <laughs> it just doesn't. That, it doesn't matter. That insertion of Eugene in this episode is, I think, everything wrong with this season of. <laughs> well, yeah, it seems like they they had. The, I know where they. I know now where they wanted to go with Eugene, and I think they're still going to go there. It's just not going to make any sense. No, it's going. It's going to feel really, really dissatisfied. You're going to be. You're. You're going to be laughing. You're going to. You're just going to be like, okay, <laughs> sure. Between like like, it, I don't know. I guess everything went wrong when we had a season two with uh, Ian Coletti in the credits, and we like didn't see him forever. Yeah, you know. I do think that the uh, one of the pivotal character moments has passed us by and has not occurred. Hmm. So I do think that the the ultimate fate of the three leads is now uh, I don't know where it's going to go okay. because there there were several things that happened in the book that didn't happen in the show that would have set up the ending. Yeah. And because that hasn't happened is is the biggest thing where I'm like I, I don't know. So I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. weird. Well, I kind of want to, we have what, three, two more episodes? Two more episodes. Yeah, I kind of want to go reread the whole thing in the next two weeks, which is totally doable. I started rereading it at the beginning of the season, and I got like 15 to 20 issues in, so I should just pick it up. But um, yeah, I do want to really refresh myself on the ending, because I'm sure they will pepper in lots of little things that I'm just, you know, it's that binge thing. Yeah. Every time I read the book, I binge it. So I I retain the first like 
15 to 20 issues really well and the ending kind of starts to you kind of get, autopilot it a little it bit it gets a little murky and by yeah. then I'm I'm really enjoying it but at the same time I'm trying to get done with it mm-hmm. so I need to probably pace myself refresh some details yeah, read a couple issues a day alright well you know yeah I didn't love this episode too much but it felt more like a lot of table setting and wrapping up some little things but overall just it has me really worried for nine like, I think this next episode can go one of two ways. It's either going to be, like, a full stop on action and any moving forward. Or it's well, hard to know if they'll do the HBO model of episode 9 is where shit hits the fan and then episode 10 is falling action and, like, resolution and, like, you know, typically where they would set up for the next season a little bit too. But obviously that wouldn't happen here. So I don't... I think ten's going to be the big one. Yeah. I think 9... Based on the fact that we're all back in Masada, yeah, or near Masada, and there's still two episodes to go, like yeah. I feel like a lot of stuff is going to happen and be addressed in episode nine. But I think all the threads will cinch together or fall apart in episode ten. Okay, two more weeks. We shall see. Yep, feels weird to be. Get your feedback in while you can. Yeah, before yeah. we shut the website down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full full dark mode. <laughs> as soon as the season's over, uh, Mark did reply to me because I did reply to him before we started recording. He said, "Yeah, that's the guy we were thinking of. We froze the screen when it, it was in a half profile, and we thought it really looked like him. Maybe not though, based on he does, the but floor. it's the gla- the glasses are a big component. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's there, honestly there's one part where he cringes his face, and there's light." on his face i'll try and post these they're they're on our twitter if you if you look at my posts on our twitter account it's mark replied off of last week's recap posting um but you can get a look at those two those two pictures and it he looks like a dead ringer for for rogan in one but i mean it might be (laughs) i guess it's not it really does, though. Yeah, it really does. But it's like they they would have swapped the actor out for one <laughs> one shot and then put him back. It's really strange. That would be really funny if they cast a guy who like, oh, he looks just like Seth. I got a funny idea. Let's put Seth in the wardrobe and have him be in one shot and then put the actor in the other. <laughs> I think when you watch it all in motion, it makes a little more sense, though. So, you know. Yeah, in the first one, he looks a lot like him, and in the second one, he doesn't as much. Yeah, like that was very purposefully, I paused it at that point because I was like, this looks just like it's Seth It's that Rogen. squint. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> That's great. With the glasses. Yeah, at G2T Podcast, come see this riveting conversation that we're talking about. Absolutely. So, On a scale of 1 to 10, how much does this man look like Seth Rogen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let us know your thoughts. Tweet at us. All right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We're also G2T Podcast on Twitter. And you can email us at g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcasts and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games. The Midwest Game Nerds Podcast, where we talked about Control and Gears 5 this week. Uh, Horror movies, like Horror Movie Yearbook, where they did a Friday the 13th bracket that you should check out. FX is The Alienist and HBO's Westworld. We also put out a bonus episode of our Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. Nick and I had some conversations before and after some gone to texas recording sessions about Mm -hmm. spider-man and marvel and sony as well as it chapter two go check those out 
and find out how to support the network as well at midwestpodcastnetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread, and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. And that's all for this episode of Gone to Texas. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings, but until then, go forth and speak the good word.